Father God, you are powerful, Lord. And you're mighty above all things. And we pray that your love would reign in our lives. And God, where we work and just everywhere that we go, God, I pray that you, you and your love would reign in us. God, because you're more than we could ever say. God, you're more, you're worthy of more than we could ever give. Father, I pray tonight that you would just bring it, God. Bring your word. Teach us something new, Father. Lord, hit us with your love, God, like a hurricane. It just knocks us over. God, sometimes we need that, and I pray you bring that in our lives. Father, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. If you want to, you can open your Bible to Malachi chapter 2. We are in part 3 as we walk through a seven-week walk through the book of Malachi and, and studying what's happening there, what God is speaking and doing, and what we draw from that. So while you turn there, I'm going to read for you a passage out of Matthew. Uh, and today what I want to keep in mind as we study is this idea of listening and responding. Listening and responding. And so with that in mind, as you're turning, you don't have to go to Matthew, but I'm just going to read this. Uh, It's a little lengthy, so bear with me. Verse 31 reads, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothing, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or in need of clothing and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison? And go to visit you. The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothing and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothing or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did, uh, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Again, this concept of hearing or listening and responding. You have a story of Jesus sitting down and he's, he's talking with his disciples. Hello? Talking with his disciples, don't feel bad about that. Mine, actually, mine rang last week while I was speaking. It was our pastor. It was like in the middle of the service, my phone's buzzing. And I called him back. I was like, bro, come on. Seriously? Anyways, um, so it happens to everybody. Um, what was I saying? Listening and responding. Here we, we see Jesus is telling, uh, prophetically talking about end times and what's going to happen. And he's saying... Uh, in the end, there's going to be gathering of people and there's a separation of the sheep and the goats. Sheep, obviously, are those who are righteous and know God and have lived it out very practically. They've responded to God in a very practical way. And, and Jesus lists out multiple ways. I was thirsty. I was hungry. I was needing clothing. I was a stranger. 
and you took care of me. And the goats, the exact opposite. You've seen all these things and you've not done this. And both respond that, when did we see you in this position? And, and Jesus responds with, or God responds with, the king responds with, how you treated other people was the way you were treating me. And so you have an active response in how we live out a relationship with Jesus. And so with that in mind, we're going to Malachi chapter 2. Uh, and as we've talked and discussed the, the cycle or the process or the way Malachi is laid out, you have a statement that's made, you have a question that's asked, and then you have a response. Uh, the, the first one that was laid out, God is talking with his people and addresses them and says, I love you. Again, just to recap, God says, I love you. They say, how do you, how do you love us? And he responds with, I chose Jacob over Esau. And this concept of God saying to them, you are a people that I chose for no good reason of your own. God had a purpose for that people group. But he, he chose them in spite of themselves. He chose them in spite of Jacob. And we, and we walked through that. Uh, and then, and then the next one that came up, God is addressing an issue. And he's, he's asking them and saying to them, he states, I'm, I'm a father and I'm a master, but where's my honor? And the people respond with, how have we dishonored you? And he goes on to explain and respond to them the way that you've offered sacrifices to me. What you've brought to me, what you've brought to my table has not only polluted the sacrifice table, but also my name. And you've looked at me with discontent and disrespect and as if worship to me did not matter. And he discusses that with him. And now he's going to continue that discussion. We don't pick up with another statement. We pick up in the middle of that discussion that we left last week. And so as he's discussing with them this concept of, God, how have we defiled you? How have we defiled your name? What have we done that's wrong? And God says, what you have brought to me in worship and in sacrifice is not good enough. And the problem was that what they were bringing was not their best. They were bringing uh, animals that were blemished. Uh, they had tumors, they were broken, they were blind, they were maimed. It, it was junk that they were bringing. They were bringing what was cheap. And God looked at it and said, this is not good enough. And so in that discussion, he turns then in chapter 2, verse 1, and says, and now this admonition is for you, O priest, or this warning is for you, O priest. So he turns and directly addresses the priest of that day and says, if you do not listen and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. And so as he's discussing the issue of sacrifices, he turns and says directly to the priest, if you do not listen and you do not respond to what I'm going to tell you, Cursings are going to fall on you. Again, this concept of listening and actively responding to what God is saying. I mean, here you have the priests who are the religious leaders. These guys are, and we're going to see in a minute when we get through this passage, these are the guys that the community is supposed to come to with questions about who God is, with questions about how do we worship, direction and wisdom and living out being the people of God. And relating to each other and worshiping God and what we're bringing to God and how God is going to bless us and use us as, an, as a nation. How do we reach out to the nations among us? These guys are the ones who are supposed to be doing that. And they're obviously not because God says this warning is for you if you do not listen and respond. And the issue is, and if you do not respond 
or do you not set you do not set your heart to honor my name? These guys have moved away from the idea of actively honoring God's name with what they're doing. Again, I want to keep this concept of listen and respond in mind as we walk through this. He says, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. Now, we're going to look at six passages as we walk through this just to get a picture of what's happening here and what they're supposed to be doing, what they're losing, what's happened in the past, what God has set up. So if you go to number six, we're just going to look at the blessings for a minute. And and you don't have to flip if you don't want, but you're more than welcome to if you want to. But number six, chapter six, to the left. The priestly blessing, uh, starting in verse 22 of, of chapter six, says, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace so that you will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Here, priest, this is how you go and bless the, the nation of Israel. Here's how you verbally bless the protection of God over the people of God. And God is saying to these guys, I will curse you and I will curse your blessings. If we go to Deuteronomy 27 and 28, we see, again, we're going to flip six times, and I apologize if you don't like flipping, just to get a picture of what's happening. Chapter 27 of Deuteronomy is... um, 27 and 28, you've got cursings and blessings going from two mountains as the people of uh, Israel are in process of God using them, God moving them into their land, God doing what he's doing, giving them their law, how they're going to worship, how they're going to live. And in that chapter 27 from Mount Ebal, you have the cursings being shouted out. Verse 14 says, the Levites shall recite to all the people of Israel in a loud voice. Verse 15, Cursed is the man who carves an image or casts an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of craftsmen's hands, and sets it up in secret. Then the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who dishonors his father or his mother. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who moves his neighbor's boundary stone. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who leads the blind astray on the road. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who withholds justice, excuse me, from the alien, the fatherless, or the widow. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who sleeps with his father's wife, for he dishonors his father's bed. Then the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who has sexual relations with any animal, and the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who sleeps with his sister, the daughter of his pe- or daughter of his father, um, or the daughter of his mother. Then all the people shall say. Amen. Cursed is the man who sleeps with his mother-in-law. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who kills his neighbor secretly. And the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who accepts a bribe to kill an innocent person. Then the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the man who does not uphold the words of the law by carrying them out. And the people shall say, Amen. Here you have a connection in the writing. As the author of Malachi is addressing, as God is addressing the priest, you have a connection with I am cursing you. I'm drawing a connection between you priests who are supposed to be leading these people in relationship with me. And we look at chapter 27 of Deuteronomy and you are aligned with these folks here. 
Those who neglect the fatherless, the widow. Those who neglect the alien. Those who lead the blind astray down a road. Those who steal. Those who are deceitful that their character is in question of their neighbors. Those who sleep with their parents or their sisters or their in-laws. It's detestable, the list of things that's listed here and you have a connection. Here are the priests. You're now in the same camp. I'm taking the blessings that you are to be saying over the people of God and the way you're supposed to verbally bless God's protection over these people. And I'm aligning you with those who are cursed throughout chapter 27. 27 and 28, we have God addressing the people and saying, if you obey what I tell you to do, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to use you as the nation to show the world Yahweh is God. Because that's the way the world worked back then. And in contrast said, when you disobey, when you move away, when you no longer worship me, I'm not going to use you that way. In fact, I'm going to punish you and you will be cursed. And they've seen that throughout the life of their nation and they've come out of exile and now living in this time just of apathy and not seeing God move. And these priests God is addressing and saying, you are cursed because you did not listen and you did not respond by setting your hearts on honoring me. Verse 3 says, Because of you, I will rebuke your, uh, your descendants. I will spread on your faces the awful from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have set this abomination so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. Again, because of you, I will rebuke your descendants and I will spread on your faces the offal of your festival sacrifices. If you don't know what that means, he says, I'm going to take the poop from your offerings and I'm going to smash it in your face and smear it around a little bit. Which is rather disgusting. And offensive. And humiliating. And God says, I'm going to take, again, the poop. I'm going to smash it in your face. I'm going to smear it around. And you will be discarded with that. If if that's not a curse, I don't know what is. Verse 4, he says, And you will know that I have set, or I have sent you this abomination, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 5, My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called, this called for reverence, and he reverent me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. And so you have this likeness. You have a contrast. He's addressing the priest. Here's where you've been wrong. You haven't set your hearts upon me. I've loved you. I've chosen you. This is how you responded to me. This is how you've been deficient in leading the nation. Because of that, I'm cursing you. I'm smashing poop on you. You're going to be discarded with that. And then he contrasts and says, I'm going to punish you. Not only that, but I'm going to keep in line with my covenant with Levi. And he goes on to address Levi in a way that uh, likens him with Noah and Enoch, saying he walked with God. Laying out this, and Levi being... um, a son of Jacob and one of the tribes of Israel, but the Levites, obviously, if you don't know that story, uh, and then chosen to be the priest. And you have Aaron coming from that. And so you have the priest coming from Aaron and you have the rest of the nation of Levi who are priests as well. 
But God says, I'm going to maintain, I'm going to preserve this covenant that I have with Levi in the midst of this. And again, as we look at Scripture and we begin to see uh, those three basic concepts that we've talked about before, Scripture communicating who God is, who man is, and then how do we respond, we see characteristics of God showing up in this story, in how God is dealing with these people. Even from the beginning, as we said, we've looked at, uh, in chapter 1, we saw God says, I love you, and I chose you. God is someone who loves. God is someone who chooses. God is the chooser of us. And then we go on, and he even addresses himself specifically as, I'm father and a master. Again, concepts that we take away, walk away with, what, what do we know about God? God is father, and God is master. And then we get to this point, and as we're reading, and those things are evident here and evident in what he's doing and how he's judging on these priests, in the midst of that, he says, in the midst of the punishment, I'm going to preserve the covenant that I made with Levi in spite of you guys. And again, we see a characteristic of God coming out that God is consistent with his promises. God follows through when he says, this is what I'm doing God follows through with that. When God says, I love you, God loves you. When God says, I'm choosing you and I'm going to use you, He's going to do that. When He chooses Israel and says, I'm going to use you in spite of who you are to bless the whole world, He does that. Even though they have ups and downs and they fall and they fail, they don't worship Him, they go in exile and they go through all these things, Jesus still shows up out of that people group. And still blesses us today. And so we see the consistency that God says, regardless of what you guys have done, I'm still going to be true to the covenant that I made with Levi. Not only that, but it then brings to light, we're going to look at three different passages, this contrast of, you haven't set your hearts on honoring me. But then he goes back to Levi, and we see uh, in, in the next three passages really what it's supposed to look like. For these guys, if you go to Deuteronomy 33, we're going to go there to Jeremiah 33 and then Numbers 25, and we'll almost be done moving. So Deuteronomy 33, looking again at what are these guys really supposed to look like? Uh, 33, starting in verse 8, says, about Levi, he said. I'm going to skip two names because I can't read them. Your, I'm not going to skip them, I'm going to try. Your Thummim and Urim belonged to the man you favored. You tested him at uh, Massa and you contended with him at the waters of Meribah. He said to his father and mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognize his brother, brothers or acknowledge his own children, but he watched over your word and guarded your covenant. He teaches your precepts to Jacob and your law to Israel. He offers incense before you, the whole burnt offerings on your altar. Bless all his skills, O Lord, and be pleased with the work of his hands. Smite the loins of those who rise up against him and strike his foes till they rise no more. Again, this what really is packed in here is, or not maybe not packed in here, but just in here. He's watching over your word. He's guarding your covenant. He teaches the precepts to Jacob and your law to Israel. Of Levi, he's the one that God is using to teach, to instruct, to guard, to protect, to help walk Israel through. How do we relate with God? We go on to Jeremiah 33, which is next to Isaiah. It's farther to the right. 
And in verse 19, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that the day and the night no longer come to their appointed time, when my covenant with David, my servant, and with my covenant with the Levites, who are priests ministering before me, can be broken, and David will no longer have a descendant to reign on his throne, I will make his descendants of David my servant, and the Levites who minister before me as countless as the stars of the sky, and as measureless as the sand of the shore. Again, God saying, I'm going to be consistent with my promises. And going back to Jeremiah, we look at, God says, even to the point where the covenant I made with David, that someone of his descendants will sit on his throne for eternity in the same way the Levites are linked in that. The same way that the day and the night cannot be separate because it doesn't function then of God's ordering and creation. God's ordering and creation of how he's dealing with man. In Jeremiah saying, I'm keeping consistent with the covenant that I've made, that you cannot separate the covenant with David and the covenant with the Levites. And again, those who are to teach, instruct, and to lead, this is what they're supposed to look like. Numbers 25 is, is a really good picture in the last place we'll go as we finish flushing this concept out. Now here's a story of a son of Aaron who responded to God or responded to a situation that showed in contrast what the priests are doing in this day in Malachi's day and what they were supposed to be doing. Verse 1 says, While Israel was staying in Shittim, the man began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices of their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of these people, kill them, and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to Israel's judges, Each of you must put to death those of your men who have joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor. Then an Israelite man brought to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. Then the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites, for he was zealous as I am for my honor among them, so that my zeal, I did not put an end to them. So you have this story. The Israelites are staying in, in this location, and they are being seduced by Moabite women, who, if you don't know, the Moabites came out of, if you, if you go back in the storyline, you've got Lot, who was in Sodom, and Abraham goes to Sodom, and he only can find Lot, who is righteous. And God pulls Lot, his uh, two daughters, and wife out of Sodom as he burns the place to the ground. And they leave there. The wife dies, and as they're living in the mountains, the two daughters look at each other and go, we don't have anybody to make babies with. And so they get their father drunk two nights in a row, and they get pregnant from their father. And from those two women, one are the, the Amorites and the others are the Moabites. And so from the beginning of, of these peop this people group, the very beginning is a perverse birthing. Not, not only that, but uh, in uh, God's instructions to Israel, he tells them, do not let a Moabite enter the assembly of God to the tenth generation. Uh, and, and so it's very interesting the way God 
deals with, and there's another reason for that, but regardless, here they're dealing with sexual immorality with Moabite women. Obviously, they're having sex with them in a practice of worship to other gods of Baal. And God begins to judge them by killing these people. And you have a man of Israel who takes a, a Midianite woman and and flaunts it before God and goes, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. And walks into his tent and begins to have sex with this woman. And Phineas, in contrast with the priest, and they're setting their hearts not to honor God, Phineas looks at the situation and goes, this is wrong. He grabs his spirit and walks in and he pokes them both and skewers them at the same time to bring the nation back to righteousness, to bring back and correct. This is how we're supposed to follow God. And as the author of Malachi is writing, we're brought back to this concept of this is what the priest is supposed to look like. He's to be the one that teaches, that leads, that instructs that lives out to bring the nation along. Here's how we worship God. And God addresses them and says, you are failing miserably. Cursed are you. It goes on in verse 7. It says, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge and from his mouth men should seek instruction because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned away and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have cursed you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways and have shown partiality in matters of the law. O priest, be warned because you are cursed because you have not listened and you have not responded by setting your hearts to honor God. Rather, you have sought out what's best for you. You've not taught, you've not instructed correctly, you've not led the nation in worship, and you've looked out for your own interest and despised, neglected, and considered worship to God irrelevant. Regardless of what it is that you say about God, what you claim to believe, what you've done in action, has clearly shown where your heart's at. If we go to, to James 2, be the last place that we flip tonight as we move this over to us. Again, you have priests who did not listen and not respond in setting their hearts on honoring God. Chapter 2, verse 14 says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And then he goes on to address, gives them two examples, Abraham and Rahab. But in James's discussion, much like the priests, here you have a group of people who, who had probably right 
theology just in terms of this is what we know about God, this is what we're supposed to do, and here are our actions, we're going through the motions. But yet God clearly says your actions have shown where your heart's at. In the same way for us, just as in Matthew 25 and in James 2, the way that we treat others is very evident of where our heart is at. Where I invest my time, where I invest my money, what I see is important is the indicator of where my heart is at in honoring God. When I've encountered somebody who's thirsty, who's hungry, who's in need of clothing, who's in need of shelter, who's in need of care, have I listened to God and responded in a way that's honoring to Him? Have I brought my best to the table in offering of sacrifice in that situation? Or have I looked at it and got and said, maybe I have something that's broken, lame, that's not going to cost me anything. Here we go. Book of Malachi is a great book for us to look at and to, to at least begin to ask the question, where do I stand? Have I set my heart to honor God or have I set my heart on my best interests? As we leave tonight, again, Malachi in chapter 1, as we finished up our, our first passage, chapter 1, verse 5 says, You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of, of Israel as God is addressing His love for them. Our part in God's kingdom is being able to go out to love people, to set our hearts on honoring God, to make sacrifices to honor God, to bring our best to the table in worship to Him and caring for other people so that we can step out our doors and see how great is God even outside the borders of Israel. Because that's where we live. God is wanting to use us. There's need available around us, I think, every day. And I think the challenge for us is to walk out and, and daily be questioning, how is God using me? How, what are the opportunities that are available to me that I can be used by God? Let's pray. Dear God, I come to you now. Thank you for today. Thank you for another chance to look in your word, to study to see what you have to say to us. We thank you for the grace that you've given us in spite of ourselves. Thank you for dying so that we could know you. God, I pray that uh, as we go out this week that you will speak to each one of us, that you will continue to pursue each one of us uh, in our own specific way, where where we need you, where uh, either we're lacking or we just need your help, God. Pray for wisdom, direction, that God, please use us. Please use us in our community uh, and those we come in contact with for your kingdom. Again, we thank you for the love you've given us uh, and the fact that we get to know you regardless of who we are and what we do. We praise you and honor you with all that we are. Christian, we pray. Amen.